Are you all like me when you move into a new place, you set out to find every single possible way back to your house from wherever you are? Uh, I have spent the last two or three months tracking down back roads and trying to find every possible conceivable way back to the house because traffic is always a nightmare at some point, right? And it's been an adventure trying to figure out how roads that kind of seem to wrap one way somehow end up back over here and which is the best way. Well, there are several ways to Grace Bible Church of Tampa, but there is only one way to God. There is only one way to God. Today we're going to see in our passage that there is truly only one way to heaven. One way to be with God forever and enjoy Him. In our passage today, Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to His disciples predominantly, calling them to godly character. The character and conduct of the disciples of Jesus is supposed to be uh, holy and honoring and glorifying to God in all circumstances, as we saw in the Beatitudes in verses 3 to 12. The attitude of the Christian must be one of rejoicing over the favor of God that's promised to us in Christ. We are blessed children of God, aren't we, beloved? We rejoice in our pursuit of Him and His righteousness, knowing that the kingdom of heaven is ours in Christ. And this is our attitude. Our, we have an attitude of gratitude and joy. <clears throat> Next, Jesus gave the mission for His disciples in verses 13 to 16. As Wes read, the Christian mission is that we will be the light of the world. In this sin-filled world. We are supposed to be salt and light for the world. Preserving and revealing the glory of God to the world as we live. As our attitudes are right and we have this mission. Today we begin to examine the king's mandate for his disciples during their mission. What King Jesus wants us to do. And how we're supposed to act. And how we're supposed to live. Put simple, the mandate for the disciples of Christ is fix our eyes on the master and follow him. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not complicated. Jesus is the way to God. He is the one. He is the way to righteousness. Jesus declares to the disciples, follow me as I obey and fulfill the law and the prophets. Follow me as I stand firm on the word of God. Follow me. The primary proposition of this passage is Jesus upholds and fulfills the word of God. His disciples must do the same. That's what he's telling them. He's saying that the word of God, the law and the prophets, this is true. This is the truth. So embrace it and follow me. That is our that is our calling, our mandate from our Lord. Let's look again at the passage we're going to focus in on. Notice verse 17. <clears throat> Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's very clear, isn't he? He lays it out very clearly that you must have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and scribes in order for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
we need to figure out what this righteousness is and how do we get this righteousness, correct? That is very important. In this passage, our king expounds on the scriptures. Specifically, he explains his view of the Old Testament scriptures at that time. He helps to answer questions about the law and the prophets. Some were probably concerned about Jesus. And Jesus' teaching often provoked people to ask questions. Is he saying, okay, no more law? No more of this? His sermon could have been misunderstood without some clarifications. And he's going to begin to expound on the law. And he wants to lay out some caveats or some things beforehand. Some profound truths about what he believes and what is the law all about. Jesus was often accused of rejecting the law because of his grace and mercy shown to the sinners. Remember, he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. So if he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors, they would often accuse him, oh, you don't believe in the law. You're not following the law. However, it was their problem, their understanding of the law, that was the big deal. So Jesus begins to explain and expound on the law of God. Jesus shows here he knows the law better than even the most religious Pharisees and scribes. In our passage today, Jesus lifts up the word of God. We will examine four features of the scriptures highlighted by Jesus in our passage today so that we will value so that we will value the word of God. Let's look at these four features. First, the supremacy of Scripture is found in verse 17. Then we'll look at the stability of Scripture found in verse 18. We'll see the seriousness of Scripture in verse 19. And finally, we'll look at the standard of the Scriptures in verse 20. Let's start with this first feature highlighted by Christ in verse 17. The supremacy of Scripture. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The context of Jesus' explanation of the scriptures is his coming exposition of the law. In the next verses and then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that he's going to explain the law of God very well. He's going to lay out the, some, of the, uh, some of the Ten Commandments and he's going to explain it. He's going to expound on it. He's going to give an exposition, if you would like, for the word of God and the law. He will say these words, you have heard it said six times. And then he will correct their wrong thinking on the law. He will say, but I say to you. So he's going to explain the law in a beautiful way. We should all go out of this place understanding over the next couple of weeks, we should understand the law of God better and understand it clearly. Jesus again was giving a caveat or a qualification before expounding on the law of the Old Testament. Jesus, listen closely, was not, was not negating the law or the prophets. On the contrary, he was upholding the supremacy of the scriptures. He was saying the scriptures are true. And I did not come to abolish, destroy, or dismantle the word of God. But Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. Jesus came to fulfill, not abolish the law or destroy the law and the prophets. You see this in the verse, verse 17. This word fulfill has been used numerous times already in Matthew, hasn't it? Now, I think this is very important because I think Matthew is bringing this along and showing and pointing that same word, and Jesus was doing it too. The idea of everything that Jesus was was a fulfillment of all that the Old Testament Scripture was, going, was pointing to. And throughout Matthew, we've already seen it. Look back over at Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. We see this same word, same Greek word used every single time. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Matthew 1, 22. Matthew 2, 15. He remained there until death. 
of the Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew 2.23 And come and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. You shall be called a Nazarene. Matthew 3.15 But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, talking to John the Baptist, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. In 4.14, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And then finally, you'll see it in our passage today. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And it goes on in Matthew 18 or 8.17 and says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But he's also in this passage calling the disciples to walk in his footsteps and fulfill the law after him also. Now listen closely. It was not that we could somehow achieve a right standing with God, but we are called to fulfill the law. You say, nah, is that what he's saying here? The answer is yes. He's talking to these disciples and telling them that if you take away from one of these, you're supposed to do them, and you're supposed to teach others to do them. Now, again, it would be context. You need to understand what does he mean. Obviously, we can't do this perfectly, though, can we? How many of you can fulfill the law Perfectly. The answer is, none of us can. So, what are we to do? He tells us to do something, but we can't do it. The answer is, he did it. He did it. He fulfilled it. And then, by trusting in him, we are then declared right with him. And therefore, we are empowered and freed, as we talked about last week, to obey him. And to fulfill righteousness. Look at it. Look over at Romans chapter 8. Look over at Romans chapter 8. You'll see this. Same word fulfilled mentioned again. Paul says the same thing. After explaining that believers. After they repent and believe in Christ. They're declared right with God. Now they are called to fulfill righteousness. By the power of God that lives within us. By the spirit of God that's working. Look at Romans 8, 1. Y'all all know this verse, right? Everybody knows this verse. After coming off of Romans 7 where Paul's struggling, I do what I wish I wouldn't do, and I don't do what I wish I would do, right? That's all of us, right? But we come to Romans 8, 1, and we read these words, and we all just rejoice, don't we? How many times have you quoted this verse to your soul after sinning and saying, I need hope. Anybody quote this verse to your soul? Yes. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ did it. He was victorious over the law. He did everything that the law required. He fulfilled it all. But it's very important to note, this is still in the sanctification part of the letter. This is the part that we're supposed to live it out now. Look, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free From the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And as an. uh, uh, He condemned sin in the flesh. So that. Look. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are now walking in the Spirit by the grace of God and fulfilling the law. You say, oh, Mike, that's still talking about justification. Well, turn with me over to Romans 13. I don't think so. Romans 13, look at it. Romans 13. After we're born again, after we believe in Christ... 
Christ has set us free from bondage to sin and we have the Spirit of God living in us. And we can now obey God and fulfill the law of God. Look at Romans 13, 8. Beautiful words. Beautiful words here. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. There's the command, right? That's what we're required to do. Love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Huh. Fulfilled the law. As we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill the law by obeying the word, by obeying the law. The law that says, love God with all your what? Heart, mind, and soul, right? And love your neighbor as yourself you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law so when jesus is talking to his disciples on the sermon of the, on the mount. He's telling them, in effect, as you follow me, you will then obey me and you will obey the law. You will serve God with genuine hearts. Now again, is this perfection? No. Is it direction? Absolutely. As a believer, we serve God with all of our hearts. And when we blow it, what do we do? We repent. We seek Him again. We look to Him and realize that ultimately our righteousness comes from Christ alone, right? But by grace, we are to serve Him. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Look back at Matthew 5. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then to empower us to follow Him. And fulfill the king's commands through faith in him, by grace, from him. Again, none of this is possible in your own selves, right? You can't do this by yourself. But by the grace of God that is active and working in our lives, we are able to love our neighbor as ourself. We fulfill the law. It's very important that Jesus does not lower the bar and make it easier for us. Actually, Jesus' clarification of the law makes it more difficult for us. Because he shows it that it's about the heart, doesn't he? He shows that everything that we should do would, should come with good motives, too. Can you do things with good motives? Strict question. If you're an unbeliever, no. But if you are a born-again believer, yes. You have the mind of Christ. You've been set free from bondage. We know the Lord Jesus. He's alive, right? And as we talked about last week, if He's alive, it means that we are alive who believe in Him. We can serve Him. Jesus' fulfillment of the law established, though, here, the supremacy of Scripture. And when we obey the Lord, we demonstrate the supremacy of Scripture also. Now, I want you to listen closely. Obedience to the Lord and the Word says to the world, God's Word is true. And He is the one we must follow. Whenever we obey Him, Whenever we serve the law of Christ, whenever we exalt Christ, it says to the word by world by our actions that God's word is truth. I want to challenge you with that. We live in a time when truth is like a bowl full of jello, isn't it? Our culture and our society distort what truth is. More and more I'm convinced that the effects of liberal views of Scripture and the postmodern view of no absolute truth is distorting the view of God and the gospel. You can't even really tell us what the gospel is anymore. The world is distorted. The gospel is being distorted and confused by the culture of subjectivity. It's up for debate. Everything is 
one person's opinion or another person's opinion. The lack of an objective interpretation of Scripture is about as bad when as when Israel lost the Scriptures completely. You remember that? In 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, remember that they did not have the law. They didn't know where it was. It was actually hidden or it was put away. And then Hilkiah found it, right? And it was this great rejoicing. Well, beloved, I think there's a great need for finding the word of God and the law of God and the, the, the truth of God today, too. So where do we find it? Well, the answer is we find it right here in the pages of Scripture, right? But we also display it by our obedience to it. And Jesus was basically saying, look, you want to know what the truth is? Here's what the truth is. It's the law and the prophets, and I'm here to fulfill it. And when he fulfilled it, everybody said, that's the truth. And some said, nope, this guy has to die. Our society's lack of objectivity and listen closely, and discipline to read and stand firm on the plain, literal interpretation of Scripture is leading to a great blindness of the so-called professing church in America. We are all susceptible to this. You're susceptible to this. We must not allow our prideful hearts to keep us from pursuing a clear reading of the Word of God. We must stay faithful to it. We must read it. We must discipline ourselves to read it and study it and stand on it. This is what Jesus was doing. They accused him of falsifying the law when in fact he was exalting the supremacy of the law. The good news is this, beloved. God's Word is true. It's truth. And the righteous way to live is clearly revealed in the Word of God. It's clearly laid out. And as we obey the Lord's commands, we proclaim the supremacy and authority of the Scriptures. And that's what He's going to do. Jesus is going to lay this out. This is what our lives will look like. It looked different, totally different. In 521, as we kill hatred and anger in our hearts. In 527, as we mortify lust. In 531, as we remain faithful and committed to God in our relationship. As we, in 533, as we are truthful with others and don't tell lies. In 538 to 40, as we avoid returning evil for evil. As we do this, as we live out who God is and what He requires of us, as we love our neighbors and our enemies, chapter 5, verse 43, what's going to happen? We're going to reveal to the world that the Word of God is true. That's the point. We will be the light of the world because as we obey God's Word, we say, His word is truth. And this is how we should act. And this is what Christ is about. We who are under the authority of Scripture reveal the truth to the world when we obey the word. We demonstrate we are the light of the world. We must not bow to the idol of self-promotion and thus interpret the word to satisfy our sinful lusts. Listen closely. Beloved, the Word of God says deny yourself. The Word of God doesn't say do whatever you please. The Word of God says Christ is Lord. <laughs> says surrender to Him and follow Him. Our master came into the world to fulfill all righteousness. And all Christians in the room say what? Amen. Because I fail at it, don't you? But at the same time, that beautiful law that he fulfilled, he calls us now to walk in his footsteps steps by grace. We too must lift up the supremacy of Scripture and live in obedience to it. I know there's some 
there's some huge red sirens going off in some people's heads. Man, you are sounding like a legalist. You are sounding like a legalist. You're telling us over and over and over you must obey the word of God. You must fulfill the law. You sound like a legalist. We'll get there. Hang in there. Let's look at the second. So first we see Jesus announced the supremacy of Scripture. Next, Jesus explained the stability of Scripture. The stability of Scriptures. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is pretty emphatic. <laughs> what they say, he's now going to say. Remember at the end of the sermon, he speaks as one who has what? Authority. He says, truly, or you could translate it, amen. And he says, I say to you. Now again, if this was just a normal man and he said, truly, I say to you, we'd all say, okay, what's the big deal? But this is the Lord God Almighty, the incarnate man, the incarnate God. And he says, truly, I say to you, this is like saying, thus says the Lord, listen up. The scriptures are supreme because they are reliable and stable. They don't move. The scriptures are consistent. That's what he's saying. Steadfast, unwavering, unfailing, trustworthy. They are stable, rock solid, and unending. God's word is true. The word of God can be counted on. And that is good news for our jello-like society, correct? I don't know about you guys, but you, everywhere you look, you wonder, what's going on? The world is falling down around us. I need truth. How about you? I got good news for you. It's right here. <laughs> the Word of God. It's stable. It's rock solid. It's objective. I know. You hear. It's up for debate. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's established. It's firm. We can trust it. Praise God. Jesus makes this point by explaining the unending nature of the actual letters that make up the recorded words. The word will last until heaven and earth cease to exist. I think he's using hyperbole here to make his point. Not the smallest letter or even a part of a letter will pass away until all is accomplished. This means every promise, beloved, in Scripture that has been made, that has not been fulfilled yet, will still happen. I promise. People can try to explain away the promises of God, but God's Word is settled. It's rock solid. For the Greek language here, the smallest letter was the iota, and the stroke of a letter could have just been a little mark to distinguish one letter from another. Or possibly here, Jesus was thinking of the Hebrew scripture, a jot and a tittle. I'm not positive which one he had in mind. Uh-oh. But don't miss the forest for the trees. Get the main point. We got that. And what is that? God's word will stand. It's firm. It's stable. It's immovable. God has spoken and every part of it is true. There was no wasted strokes. No letters in error. God has spoken in his word. And it is reliable, accurate, perfect, and authoritative. There's an important application for us here. For every one of us to heed. There are a lot of opinions out there right now. There are lots of prophecies or philosophies of men that are swirling around our heads all the time. There are all kinds of commentators on the world. People trying to tell us what's this and what's that and why that's happening. But only one word 
is exactly perfect and supreme above all. And that is the Scriptures. So we need to seek to know the Word, don't we? You say, well, Mike, you say this all the time. <laughs> well, this is it. It is objective. It is true. We need to know and understand and apply Scripture correctly. This requires personal discipline and divine help. You need God. And there are many passages when you're reading through the Scriptures, you go, what does that mean? Anybody have that happen? Well, whatever you do, don't say, well, it's no big deal and just move on. Cry out to God. Ask Him to help you. And then don't do one of these. Well, I'll sit back and wait on him to give me the answer. <laughs> he says what? Study yourself approved. Or study the word. A good workman. That's what we should do. Pursue Christ in his word and knowing it. There's no other book in the world as reliable as this book. And everybody in the room should say what? You ask me. Why I believe God has a plan for national Israel. You asked me that question. Short answer, because God promised in his word a future for national Israel. End of story. It's promised. It's going to happen. And his word is reliable and stable and authoritative, so we're going with it, right? You asked me why there is a hell, contrary to what the Pope said, where people who have not repented and believe in Jesus will go. Why do I believe that there's an eternal place of condemnation? A judgment. Answer. You ready? Because the Bible says there's a hell. It's truth. You ask me. Is faith in Jesus... The only way to get to heaven. You asked me that question. Is it possible that Muslims and Buddhists and all these other religions can still somehow still get there? And I answer emphatically, there is no other way than Jesus Christ. And why do I know it? Because the objective word of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's stable. It's rock solid. There's no other way. It is the truth. I am the way, Jesus said. The truth and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father but through me. Genuine faith in him is the only way to be delivered from the just judgment we deserve. Another implication of the reliability of God's word here. Is one of the biggest flaws in human parents is our consistency, isn't it? Yeah, if we're all honest, all parents in the room say, I'm not always as consistent as I should be, right? We try to be, don't we? We attempt to always be consistent, but that's one of our biggest flaws. We are also very inconsistent with our marriages, aren't we? We tell, we say, we stand up at marriages and weddings and say, I will love you every day for the rest of my life. I am committed to you till death do us part. Don't we say that? Well, we aren't very consistent with our love, are we? And not very consistent with sacrifice. Why? Why are we so inconsistent? Real simple, because we're sinners. <laughs> we're sinners. We're not consistent because we're sinners. But God is righteous. And His Word is reliable. Why is it reliable? Because God's character is righteous. And He does not lie. And everything He promised will come true. He's perfect. And God himself became a man and fulfilled all that the law required perfectly. We must stand on them. 
We must stand on Scripture. We must stand on the Jesus that is revealed in the Scriptures. We must stand on this truth. So Jesus explained the supremacy of Scripture and the stability of Scripture. Notice next he explains the seriousness of Scripture. The seriousness of Scripture. In verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here we see the disciples are exhorted by the Lord to take the word of God seriously. Jesus warns the disciples God's word is not something to play with. We must know it. We must study it. We must understand it. Because the word is extremely important. We must take it seriously. We have responsibility as children of God to know it. And to obey it. We must not have selective hearing. Do y'all have that problem in your house? I have that occasionally in my house. That selective hearing is, is I obey the things that I want to do. But I don't always obey the things that I'm called to do. And must do. Children have this problem a lot, don't we children? But we must not take away from God's word. We must obey. We must serve him. We must love him. We must love our neighbor as ourselves, and love even our enemies. We must not add to the scriptures or take away from the scriptures. One of the issues in our circles, that is reformed, expository, Bible-loving disciples of Jesus, is sometimes we can be dogmatic on the parts of scripture that are, that, that maybe... Others would say you shouldn't be so dogmatic on. For example, we're committed to men only as pastors in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. Is that something we should stand on? Uh, Yeah, because the Bible says it. The Bible says it, right? So we stand on it. Or we're committed... To the premillennial view of the kingdom. Uh (gasps) Uh-oh. Yes, we stand on it. Why? Because it appears very clear that the Bible says it's going to happen. That the kingdom has not been established on earth yet. Or we stand on six-day creation. We stand on six-day creation. 24 hours. God created the world in six days. Should we stand on that? Yes. Why? Because it's the word of God and that's what God said. So we believe it. We trust it. But do you understand that this does cause some tension, doesn't it? I'm I'm constantly hearing this line. I hear it all the time. And I know some of y'all are going to be, man, you are just really too hardcore. Well, we need to just major on the majors and not, not worry about those minor things. I mean, cessationism, that, you know, no big deal. You know, if somebody gets up and speaks in a weird tongue and there's no interpreter and, you know, hey, it's just the way they are, it's okay. Why do we stand on these things? Because the word of God says it. We believe it. But Mike, you're going to clear out half the church. (laughs) When are we going to get some backbone? There's a time for backbone, beloved. We live in a culture and a society that's jelly. We can't be like that. Now, does that mean that we're rude and arrogant and obnoxious? No. But we stand on the truth. If every time you come up to one of the elders and they tell you, well, I don't know, it could be this 
or it could be that. Whatever you want. Go for it. Run from that church. It's very attractive in our culture to be that way, by the way. And I, I, I'm convinced that you want a seeker-sensitive church and you really want to pack the pews, all you got to do is say nothing. And stand on nothing. Just get up here and smile and tell some jokes. And give several different views and say, boy, let's just kind of think on it. Jesus isn't like that, is he? <laughs> He's the opposite of this. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same should be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. It's kind of narrow, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think here he is speaking... To the disciples, and as he's speaking to the disciples, he, he says that there is a propensity, even in believers, to kind of water down things. Because he says, it says, least in the kingdom of heaven. And then in the next verse, he said, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a different group, I think. I do believe that there are brothers and sisters that have some confused doctrine. And they aren't really standing firm on the word. And I do believe they're going to be in heaven and they're going to enjoy the kingdom. But I don't know about you, but I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, man, you were wimpy with my word. You didn't stand very firm. Anybody else? I think that's what he's talking about. He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Stand firm, beloved. Come on, stand firm. Speak the truth. In love. I know some of us master's grads can be really harsh. Being honest. One thing I do, I do love about my seminary, and being honest, is at least they stand on the truth. And when they start watering down the truth, guess what? I'm going to leave, I'm not going to associate in fellowship when they stop watering down the truth. And it'll come, because almost every seminary does. Throughout history, watch it, look at it. That does not give us an excuse to be prideful, arrogant jerks. I admit that. But I really believe the scriptures are sufficient. And all we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that? Then let's stand on it. Now the Pharisees and scribes added to the commandments. And misinterpreted the law. And Jesus rejected their wrong interpretation by these words. But two wrongs don't make a right. And I want you to listen closely to this. Legalism doesn't give us an excuse for antinomianism. What do I mean by that? Legalism, setting up man-made rules and regulations in order to get approval for man, does not make it okay then to have no law and be all about, you can do whatever you want. If you're saved, you can act however you want. Just because the false religious te uh, system was teaching a fake external righteousness, and I cannot stress this enough to you, you've got to listen. This is a very important point of this passage and what Jesus is saying. Just because the false religious system was teaching a fake external self-righteousness, it did not give an excuse for ignoring the word of God and the imperatives found in it. You understand what I'm getting at. That's what he's saying in this passage. The Pharisees were all about outward, external garbage. Cleaning up the outside of the cup. 
They were all about making themselves look good in the eyes of others when they were wicked inside. And the reaction is often legalism means what? Flee to the other side, there's no rules. No law. I can do whatever I want. It's the pendulum effect, right? It's that effect where we all just swing all the way over. We can't do that. In fact, the Word of God is true. And it does call us to obedience. And it calls us to purity of heart and mind. It calls us to these things. This is our problem in our reactionary societies. We think legalism is horrific because it burdens people with false requirements that never gets to the real heart of the need, their need for Christ. We say that, don't we? How many of you hate legalism? I do. I hate it. Because it misses the point and it never drives them to where their hope is really found. Right? I hate that. But the solution is not to say there's no law. There's no rules. There's no right and wrong. You can do whatever you want. The solution is deal with the heart. That's what Jesus is going to do. Deal with the heart. And proclaim the law of Christ to ourselves first. Important to ourselves first, and then to our brothers and sisters. But at the same time, offer hope. Give hope. This is where we miss it a lot of times too. It's important. It's a narrow way, isn't it? It's very narrow. We find ourselves either judging people or ignoring things. When the answer is, confront people with their hearts, but give them hope of where the hope is found in Christ Jesus, their Lord. How many of you are the inconsistent parent? Your hope is in the Lord. Your hope is not in you. How many of you are the spouse that doesn't love their spouse the way you should? The hope is in the Lord. We have, a G- we have a Savior. We have a husband in Christ Jesus that loved us so much that he laid his life down for his bride. Our hope is in him. Offer hope. He was saying God's standard is perfection. Come to me, the only one who is perfect. Follow me. However, Jesus' rejection of the traditions... Or the elders got him in a lot of hot water, didn't it? Jesus takes this occasion to be very clear. He's not about eliminating or misinterpreting the scriptures or watering down the word of God. He was fully committed to the word and he warned everyone not to misuse or abuse the word of God. In fact, Jesus warned them, the disciples who water down or fail to guard the word will experience a loss of reward in heaven. Or in the kingdom. It appears here Jesus is not saying the compromising believer can't be saved. But it says you'll you'll lose your reward. The word of God was meant, beloved, to bring people to the end of themselves. I heard it a little bit a while back ago and I've alluded to it before. And it was funny because I, and just for the record, I don't always listen to John MacArthur's sermons, but I did on this one. And he said something right in the middle of the sermon. He said, I was like, wow, that's wild. He said, he said, I I, I often have people come up to me and say, you're so negative. You're so negative. I was like, I had the same thing happen to me. About three weeks ago. Just give me some positive news. Don't tell me I'm a sinner all the time. That's what I was told. Again, I want you to understand, if I'm telling you you're a sinner, I know I'm full well more of a sinner than you are, okay? Just to get that clear. 
And I'm not going to stop telling myself that I'm a sinner. You know why? Because I'll start thinking I'm something. And on top of that, it'll be a lie. Because I'm still a sinner. Praise God, I'm a saint also. Declared right by God and God working in my life at the same time. Beloved, you need to understand that if, you, if I stop telling you you're a sinner, or the word stops convicting you that you're a sinner, leave this church. You heard it twice now, this, ser- this sermon. I'm giving you reasons to leave. If I stop telling you you're a sinner, run. Because everybody in this place is prone to sin, prone to stray, prone to leave the God we love. The Word of God was meant to bring the people to the end of themselves, and it does me. How about you? Where do we end up when we get to the end of ourselves? We don't just say, mm, time to clean up. I'm going to start looking good again. No, we run to Christ, who is the fulfillment of all righteousness. It is our hope. The law of God brings every person to the end of themselves as long as the Spirit is working and convicting your heart. The law was not the problem. The law was meant to drive people to their knees and cause them to look up for forgiveness. As, Tim, as Paul states in 1 Timothy 1.8, but we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So the disciples were exhorted to take the Scripture seriously, depend upon the reliability of the Word, and believe in the supremacy of the Word of God. Finally, we come to the last feature. Jesus highlighted concerning the Scriptures. Notice in verse 20, the standard of Scriptures. The standard of Scriptures. Because I say to you, again, emphatic, I say to you, That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees and scribes had established a system that glorified the externals. Very much like many today. Everyone is about the greater good. Or what is politically correct. Or what is acceptable and tolerant for the most people. For the Pharisees and scribes, they were just like this. The law was all about human accomplishment and external purity and what was politically advantageous for all of the people. That's how the Pharisees were. But they were lost. (laughs) They were lost. How do we know? Because they missed their Messiah and they called for him to be killed. They rejected him and chose a murderer over him. In fact, they chose a wicked emperor, Caesar, over King Jesus. Their self-righteous religious system allowed for horrible sins in their heart, but yet because they distorted the law, they were considered the most righteous in their society. Wow. Think about that for a second, beloved. The the people of Jesus' day said the Pharisees and scribes are the most righteous people in our society. When in fact, they were wretched, lost. They looked good on the outside, but they were wicked inside. But Jesus is exhorting his disciples They better get the word correct. They better understand that God's standard of righteousness is perfection. And they better get the fact that they aren't going to get this righteousness in themselves. They need someone else. Again, this sermon should drive every single one of us to our knees. It should show us and expose us of where we fall short. 
Why was Jesus doing this? He was doing this to drive them to him. What do I do? Where do I go? How do I do this? You can't. But he did. As John states, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Those who are born again and have trusted in Christ, God is working in us to produce righteousness. Now, I want to be very clear. We cannot achieve this righteousness by ourselves. We first must be declared right with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, who was the fulfillment of all righteousness. But then, as we abide in Christ, as disciples and followers of Christ, we pick up our cross and follow Him who went before us to the cross. And because of our new relationship in Christ, and our new heart, and our new desire, and our new love for Christ Jesus who died in our place, we now want to obey Him. And we love one another. And live righteous, obedient lives. By grace alone. Still God working. But us living it out. Not perfectly. But we are fixed on Jesus. Following him. And he works. As one commentator stated. It is clear from Jesus' words in this sermon. External religious activity and self-righteousness are not sufficient to get one into the kingdom of heaven. You can come to church for the rest of your life and be dead lost and can't go to heaven. That's a fact. You can be the most Bible-wise person, in other words, have all the facts and still be lost. It appears that many of the Pharisees had, uh, many of them had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Oh my, that's scary. Isn't that scary to you? Anybody in here scared by that? I'm scared by that. If you go out of this sermon thinking, okay, here I am, I'm ready to clean up. <laughs> You've missed the whole point of the sermon. <laughs> Your hope is in the Lord, in Him alone. Repent and believe in Him. Over the next several weeks, we are going to examine what is wrong with external self-righteous religion. And second, we'll look at what is right about inward God-produced righteousness. I want that. How about you guys? I want to be a light in this world. I want to be different. How about you? Please help us, Lord, right? Please help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time in it. Convicted by it, Lord. Fully aware that Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the only one that fulfilled righteousness perfectly. Fully aware of our own sinfulness and our own propensity to justify away our sins fully aware God of our need of you we stand here today in need of a savior father we pray that today you will continue to work in our hearts and draw us closer and closer to you that we may know the son and proclaim the son and live for the Son, and obey the Son, and exalt the Son. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that's trying to be a good person in their own strength, I pray that your Spirit will convict them. I pray that they will look to you 
that they will fall on their knees confessing their sin and acknowledge their sin before you and will believe in Christ Jesus alone. Please, God, please, God, save. From the smallest to the oldest, Lord, please save. Help us, Father. We believe. Help our unbelief. We love you. We commit our day to you. We ask that you use us for your glory. May we be salt and light in this world. We pray this in Christ Jesus, our Lord's name. Amen.